take your Bibles and turn with me to the book. We're going to actually end, end up in this in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, but I'm going to have a few more scriptures before that. But I want to ask you a question this morning while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? A reflection. Thank you. Do you see flaws? Do you see shortcomings? Do you see imperfections? Do you see lack? Yeah. Wrinkles. Sure, all of that. You look and you think, wow, this is not how I used to look. Yes, we look at the outward, right? First thing in the morning, we look at it, we go, oh, what just, what happened? I went to bed last night. I was looking pretty good this morning. What just happened? Man, what, what, what crawled into my bed and got all over this, right? But I want you to know something. God doesn't see any of those things that we're critical about. He doesn't see any of the shortcomings, any of the lack. Uh, this morning, I, I want to start a, a beginning of a three-week series that I want to talk about uh, how we can, as believers, live as one, unified as one. I want to explore some things about that. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk, before we talk about oneness, I want to actually talk about the opposite of that, independence. Um, independence is really one of the core values of our American culture. We even have a holiday celebrating on July the 4th. It's called what? Independence Day, of course. You know, it's, the, it's in the title. It's in the day. We're taught from an early age to be self-sufficient. And we're told to fend for ourselves as a sign of strength and maturity. It's really a preferred trait, at least it has been in our culture uh, up until it seems like lately. Those who can't go it alone are viewed as weak or at least less capable than those who can. Now, we actually have seen in different decisions that our government has made recently to sneak a little bit of this socialism into our republic, this dependence instead of being independent. Um, I just got to say this. I got the pulpit, so I get to say it. So, listen, if you've taken out a loan, pay it back, okay? Um, it's not my bill. It's your bill, right? <laughs> I'm a little bit upset. Um, you know, we, we look at this and we feel the way that we do because it's not teaching those who get whatever free benefit, the responsibility and uh, of being independent, the responsibility of taking care of your uh, of your own decisions and your needs. It really what that actually does is it fosters dependence. Mm -hmm. Now we, we value independence and we value individualism almost above really everything else in our culture. But we weren't created to live this way, at least not based on what the Bible says. It may feel counterintuitive, but the truth is we're created and called to live in community. And what we just saw this morning in even times of prayer with one another is that it, it was one of those sort of wonderful moments where we say, you know, I can't do this life alone. I, I, I can't live this life alone. I won't live this life alone. I need the church. Not only are we created and called to live in community, can I make it more personal and say that, in fact, you, God designed you and me to live in community. Genesis 2.18 uh, God creates man and then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. We know that scripture. And so he created, he created woman. And it wasn't that he just created woman so that he, because he, he wouldn't be lonely or that he might have a, 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 a helpmate. Uh, but it's because, in fact, God actually wired us. He created Adam before he ever made Eve to, to do life together. And he created us all and called us all to do life in community. That's why when you look in the prison systems uh, that 
solitary confinement in prison is one of the worst sort of punishments that there is. Uh, we were created to be with others. Now, people may drive you crazy sometimes, but solitary confinement will drive you crazy all the time. The problem is most of us don't want to do community. Not because we're anti-community necessarily, hopefully. Maybe we don't want to do community because we've been trained to do life independently, like here in our country. Uh, we don't want to do it because we know that we really don't know what we're missing as a result of it. We don't want to do it because maybe we've been hurt in the past. Maybe we don't want to do it because it's just too much work. We just don't want to do it because it just takes too much work to get to know people. You know, it's interesting in other cultures, and in fact, um, you can probably think of some of these cultures that they're very family oriented, they're very community oriented, they really are. In other countries, people really value community here, not so much. So maybe we don't do life in community for all these reasons, maybe there's more. And as a result of why we, of those reasons, whatever reason you would give, most of us are far too focused on being individuals. But this individualism is robbing us of the joy and the strength and the hope that we're so desperate for, we really need. And the only way to break the habit of doing life alone is, is really to experience the life that we were truly meant to live and to learn how to live in and amongst community. I, I want to read to you out of Acts chapter 2 just for a minute because the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the Holy Spirit empowered believers not only to witness, but to do life together in community. Acts chapter 2 verses 40 through 47 says it this way. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. This is talking about Peter saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized that day. About 3000 souls were added to them. Wow. Talk about revival. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. As I read this, do you hear how their lives really revolved around spirit-filled community? They did life together. Then this spirit-filled and spirit-empowered body believers, they, they lived in this, in this community. They were spirit-filled. They were spirit and spirit empowered and that caused the church to be added to daily and it's no different now than it was then we as a spirit-filled church and a, a spirit-filled believers are created to do the same thing today I, I'm so thankful that this church is part of uh, the movement of the assemblies of God it not only emphasizes sharing Jesus outside of these four walls but really being Jesus inside the four walls as well you hear me say a lot about being Jesus outside but boy Tell you what, it's important to be Jesus inside these four walls too, isn't it? And there's really no better way that we can show that love, that love of Christ to one another than in true Christ-like community. You know, someone told me not too long ago that they've never been the kind of guy who's had many friends or really has opened up uh, to talk about stuff. Uh, maybe when he goes through difficult times and, and, and really when he goes through difficult times, he, he actually tends to withdraw and shut down. I don't know how many can relate to that, uh, and I really get it. Maybe you get it as well. 
Uh, but really, that's so dangerous. And that's really not healthy. And it's exactly what the enemy wants us to do, in fact, is to isolate ourselves, to withdraw. So if you happen to be wired that way, or maybe you've just trained yourself that way because of past hurts, you're not going to open up anymore because you've been stabbed in the back, you've been hurt too many times, your experiences in your life, you just don't trust people, or maybe you're an introvert, or maybe you just can't figure out how to get over this hump, then these next three weeks are really for you. So for the next several weeks, I want us to explore what it looks like to live life in community. Not just as a group of different individuals coming together for a couple of hours a week. But we're actually going to learn what it looks like to live as one. So this is far more important than most of us realize. It's not just because doing life alone leaves us lacking. It leaves us vulnerable. And it does. Because we're each wonderfully and uniquely created to be a part of a community. And what's more, through that spirit-filled community, we can transform our world. I'll say that again. Through the spirit-filled community, we can transform the world. Hear me this morning. Through the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered community, we can transform our world. Now, this means that we learn to do life together. We must learn to do life with others, even when life with others is difficult. And I get that. But as the Holy Spirit teaches us to do life as a united community, there is nothing, there is nothing, the gates of hell cannot stop what Christ can do through a united, spirit-filled community of believers. So if we're going to learn to live in community, to do life in community, to transform the world as a community, we need to start by understanding a couple of things, and that's what I want to look at this morning. I want us to look at a couple of things about ourselves. We're going to start with us, individually. I want us to explore a couple of things here today. You've already opened up to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and I want to ask you a question while you got that ready to go. We're going to start in verse 10. Have you ever discovered, here's a question for you, have you ever discovered... One of the reasons that you struggle to connect with others is maybe not them, but rather it's you. I know that's hard to admit. Oh, it's not me. I'm delightful. But let me get, let's just be honest with each other. You be honest with yourself this morning. Oh, delightful ones. <laughs> if you've experienced multiple failed relationships, multiple failed relationships, what's the common denominator? Right? Yeah. If you've experienced multiple job ending badly, what's the common denominator? Oh, my bosses, they're just horrible. If you can't find a place to connect, if you've never felt like you belong, all those other sort of things, what's the common denominator? Yeah. Moi. Now, I'm not saying there's not times others have left us out or rejected us, maybe because of different reasons. I don't know what that would be, but I'm sure there's some reasons, some legitimate reasons. And I'm not saying that we've never been the victim of others' hurtful actions. If you're alive, you've been hurt. But if we're honest, most of the time when we don't do well in community, it's in large part because of us. And I think it's because we don't understand who we are and what we are nor do we understand who and what others are. So if we're going to learn to live in community, we must learn what we are and what this means for how we live with 
our lives with others. So, so what am I? What are you? And how does, it, how does this impact my life? Well, let me give you a short answer. I'm going to put it on the screen here. And I want you to write this down. In fact, I want you to write down, I am God's masterpiece. It says you are God's masterpiece, but make it personal. Say, I am God's masterpiece. So you remember the question I asked you at the beginning of the message, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Well, you may not see much. We're always our own worst critics. You may focus on the outward, but you see what God sees is a masterpiece. He sees what's going on on the inside. The outward fades away, as we know. But the inward man, that's what lives forever. So if we were to look at ourselves the way God sees us as a masterpiece, how would this impact our lives. When we live like a masterpiece, it transforms the world around you. But we've got to start with how we feel about ourselves. And that's the point. You are a masterpiece. Act like it. You are a masterpiece. Act like it. That, that's really the one thing I want you to get today more than anything else. You are a masterpiece. Act like it. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's, that says all that it needs to say right there. Let's just unpack that for a few moments. This word handiwork, or, or, or some of your versions of your Bible may say workmanship. We are God's workmanship. All of those can be translated to the word masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. We were created by God. Does God make junk? No, he doesn't. You were created by God. You were created for God, this scripture says. So he created you for a purpose. And we were created in the image of God, the Bible says. So when you look in the mirror and you look at yourself, you think, wow, God, this is what he looks like. You may think he needs a facelift. <laughs> he needs a, God needs a tummy tuck. God needs a hair, hair plants transplanted. God needs some work done. But again, we're looking on the outward. And the outward has nothing to do with who we are in Christ. Our culture places great value. In fact, it places the highest value, really, it seems like, on outward beauty and handsomeness. But if you read in Proverbs 31.30, the Bible says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. It's true. It just goes right down out the door, doesn't it? But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. In other words, a woman who respects, a woman who, who delights in the Lord, who serves the Lord. And by the way, this goes for men, too. A man who delights in the Lord, a man who, who respects and serves and fears and re reveres the Lord. He, she, they shall be praised. That beauty, that handsomeness is going gonna, is gonna to fade away. It's going to pass. The outward stuff, hard to keep up with. The curse of sin takes its toll on our bodies, doesn't it? It's impossible to keep up with gravity's impact on our bodies, isn't it? <laughs> if you wake up. <laughs> As we're going through the day, if you hear a thud, just know that that something else has dropped. It's going to be okay, though. It's just gravity doing its work. <laughs> There's not enough Botox in the world to keep old age from eventually winning. God bless Botox. It's just not going to win. You know, some estimates say America spends upward of $16 billion a year on cosmetic surgery. $16 billion. Hmm. But God isn't really concerned about our outward appearance, you know. He knows the body is temporary and it's fading fast. Some of us faster than others. But the soul is eternal. God is working to fine-tune our inner beings into this masterpiece that he's created you and I to be.
He makes no junk. You are beautiful in God's eyes. I got to have you turn to someone and say that. You are beautiful in God's eyes. Yeah. Now, you may not believe that. You may have had someone just turn to you and say that just now. And you're probably thinking, no, that's not true. I don't believe that. I... But it's true. You are beautiful in God's eyes. You are God's masterpiece. And by the way, let me just say one more thing about this. God doesn't make any mistakes either. If you're a male, if you're a biological male, God designed you to be a male, not a female. If you're a female, a biological female, God designed you to be a female, not a male. No amount of injected testosterone or injected estrogen into your body will make you otherwise. Your DNA is what it is. No surgery will make you otherwise. Your DNA will always be how God created you to be because God makes no mistakes. He makes no junk. And I'll say even further, there are only two genders. I don't care what you hear. I don't care what's going on out there. It's all a lie from Satan. There's two genders. The Bible says God created the male and God created the female. And that's it. That's it. Satan has taken God's original design of a male and a female. And he's perverted to all the rest of the things that we hear about today. And by the way, the list continues to grow. It'll grow. Don't worry about it. It'll grow. Stay focused on what God's word says, though. If you're questioning your gender today, if you're here listening to this and at home maybe listening to this in some way, you can send this to somebody else. Don't let the devil lie to you and confuse you. It is a lie from Satan that tries to confuse you. Satan is the author of confusion. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to destroy you. God made you beautifully to be the biological man or the biological woman that you are. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Revel in it. Guys, celebrate your masculinity. Women, celebrate your femininity. Guys, act like a man. Please, ladies, please act like ladies. It feels like I'm seeing a lot of men out there acting like women and women acting like men lately. Come on, let's, let's stand up, guys, and act like men. And, and, and ladies, let's act like ladies, please. There's nothing like a feminine woman and nothing like a masculine man to make things just wonderful in the world. You know, you're God's masterpiece, beautifully crafted by God, prepared in advance, as we just read, to do the good work that he has for you as your birthed gender. So how do we act like a masterpiece? How do we rise to the occasion of what God has created us to be? There's a couple of things here. First thing, write this down is first, live up to your purpose. Live up to your purpose. Write that down. You are a masterpiece created on purpose for a purpose. You are created a masterpiece on purpose for a purpose. You know what this means? That means you have a job to do. You have a job to do. We all have a job to do. Because you're God's masterpiece created for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do, then you have a job to do. It's one of your greatest ways that you can honor God. Did you know that? One of the greatest ways that you can honor God is to live up to what he has created you to be. And to do the job that he created you to do. 
You know, this is really important. You know, you may be a masterpiece, but if you aren't living out your purpose, if you're not doing the job that you're created to do, then you're not living up to your value. Let me give you a few examples here. A, a vintage car, let me say it. it's a 1965 Mustang convertible, red with a white top, red interior, automatic, all cherried out, perfect to the original. You know what I'm talking about, guys? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Those beautiful cars. Oh, I want one of those. But you know what? If I own one of those, I would not load up your sweaty, muddy, 10-year-old soccer boys and girls and get, take, them to a, take them to a soccer match and have them load up in the car and take them back home. Not in that car. I'd take my minivan for that. It's being misused. It's a classic. It's a masterpiece. And so you use that vintage masterpiece car for the purposes of, of, of what it's designed to. How, how about a guitar? A vintage guitar. Cameron has a really nice guitar. He played it a couple of weeks ago here. He would not let any of his kids take that guitar and bang it out in a show and tell at school. Hey, I'm going to sing a song. It's, my, it's a vintage. It's a classic. It's a beautiful masterpiece guitar. Do not mess up that guitar. Use it for the purposes that it's designed to in a nice, beautiful concert, a nice worship song, something that it's specially designed to do to let it live up to. How about the Mona Lisa? You wouldn't use the Mona Lisa to cover up a hole in the wall in your back bathroom or to paper the bottom of your birdcage with it, would you? Of course not. Seems silly, doesn't it? But see, that's how we live our lives. God has created you and I to be masterpieces, to live up to the purpose of what he's created us to. And I think so many times we relegate ourselves to something far less than that because we really don't understand the concept of what Jesus has done. That he has created us in his image for good works, for a purpose, and let's live up to that. If it's a masterpiece, if you're a masterpiece, if you and I are masterpieces, then let's be used according to our value. Let's live up to our purpose. That's why the New Testament spends so much time talking about the things that Jesus' followers shouldn't do. You ever read the New Testament? It says, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And you feel like, man, get off my back. Right? How I many is what I'm talking about? There's a lot of don'ts. You think, man, a lot of rules here. A lot of, you know what? That's, that, that's the wrong way of looking at it. It's really the way of looking at it is the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us through the word of God to say, if you don't do these things, don't do these things because if you do, you're not living up to your created value, your masterpiece that you are. You're, you're living far less. So don't do those things because that's relegating you to the soccer kids and to the bird cages and to the stuff like that. Don't do that. I didn't make you to do those things. God's not just being mean. He's not trying to just keep us from having fun. What he is really trying to under, help us to understand is he's created us for a higher purpose than what the world would offer us. God doesn't just give us a list of arbitrary rules to follow, but he recognizes that we're masterpieces. He made you. He made me. And he doesn't want us to be devalued. So what's your job? You may be asking, okay, I understand I'm a masterpiece. What am I created to do then? What does that look like, Pastor? Okay. Here it is. You ready? Your job. What you were created to do is to, two words here, represent Jesus. Represent Jesus. This means how you treat others. 
Are you representing Jesus well with how you treat others? The Bible says to do unto others as you would have them to do unto you, right? So are you treating others the way that you want to be treated? Regardless of their station in life, regardless of their age, regardless of their skin color, regardless of how they smell, regardless of how they look in any possible way. Are you looking at the outward and are you seeing them as a masterpiece or are you just seeing them as something that can be moved aside? How are you treating others? How about in your conversations that you have with people, not just here in church, but every time you open your mouth? The Bible says, let everything that you say bring edification to one another and represent Christ well. Right? But are we doing that? Or are we edifying people? Are we encouraging them? Are we lifting them up? Are we tearing them down? Are we being ugly? Are we, are we representing Christ well or are we not? How about how you manage your time? Are you representing Christ well and how you manage your time? Are you being a good steward of your time and talent and treasure that God has given you? Are you just frittering your days away doing nothing? Or are you spending your money on yourself? Are you taking your talents and giving them to the world? Are you representing Christ well in those areas? How about how you take care of your body? Are you, are you taking care of it? Are you sleeping well? Are you exercising? Are you eating right? Are you, are you putting the right stuff in there? You know, junk in, junk out. Goes, goes a long way. Good stuff in, good stuff out, right? The Bible talks about us being God's temple. Let's take care of God's temple. Let, let's not shorten the days that he has assigned for us by our abuse of our temples. You know? That's representing Jesus well. So if you're going to be a masterpiece, if you're going to live up to your purpose, you need to ask yourself, how am I representing Jesus in my life, in every area? Those are just four areas. It, it goes beyond that. How am I doing? in my representation of Jesus Christ to the world, to my church, to my family, even to myself. How am I doing? And you may think that what you're doing doesn't matter. When you represent Jesus wherever you are, you're living a life of infinite value and purpose, though. It does matter. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you're doing your job even if the situation finds itself incredibly boring and mundane. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about the mundaneness of the routine of things? And sometimes we think, man, this is not really exciting. But yeah, even in the mundane, even in the routine, even in the, the schedules that we, that we lock into, going to school and, and going to work and taking care of the bills and the responsibilities at home and just all the responsibility, All of that represents Jesus well and it glorifies Christ if we do it the right way. We were talking about this just the other day. Josh and I. Josh, you opened up the service here. I meet with Josh and John uh, Phillips and also uh, Lorenzo. Uh, and, and we do some mentoring together. And we were talking about this this week. Uh, how are we serving? How are we doing in serving? And, and Josh used the example of, well, I, I hadn't really done much. He says, I washed some dishes. He works at, at a fire department. And so, you know, there's a lot of downtime. And then he goes and rescues cats. And then he comes back and he, <laughs> he hangs out there for a little while longer. And then he gets another call for a cat and tree, cat in a tree and stuff. That's what he does. He's the cat guy. <laughs> but during his time there at the fire station, he's able to do some things. And he says, I... I washed some dishes there in the kitchen. I, you know, I just I was just trying to do some things to kind of help out a room. He says that really is not much. I said, Josh, that's exactly what you need to be doing to serve people, because you know, as you're washing someone else's dishes, you didn't mess up those dirty dishes. Someone else did, but you're washing them, and they're watching you. And it's that mundane sort of routine that we do in our lives 
It's not necessarily standing here behind a pulpit preaching or leading worship or some other sort of, you know, flashy thing that's obvious. It's the mundane stuff. It's the daily stuff, not just with those that we work with, but definitely people, our, our spouses, our children, those in our home, people in the church, total strangers. It's all the time, every day throughout our lives, we're serving Jesus. And it's in the stuff that's really kind of important and the stuff that is washing dishes, not important. It's all important because it all represents Jesus well. The Holy Spirit can show you. The Holy Spirit actually can teach you. The Holy Spirit can help you to live up to your masterpiece creation. I would just simply suggest to you a couple of words here if you're not sure what that looks like. It's pretty simple. Ask Him. Ask the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? How can I represent Christ well? The Holy Spirit can help you with that. Again, as a unique masterpiece that you are, you can represent him differently than I can because he's wired me a certain way. He's wired you a certain way. But all of us representing Jesus in our different ways makes the difference. Your job is to reflect Jesus back to the world. So I want, to, I want you to ask yourself this question. What are you reflecting? Actually, who are you reflecting? Are you reflecting yourself? Are you reflecting the world? Are you reflecting Jesus? So when we look in the mirror, we see our natural reflection. But God wants us to look in the mirror of our hearts and see Jesus. Stop just looking and saying, ah, that needs some work. Instead, look in here and say, oh, now that needs some work. Right? So the first way that we act like God's masterpiece is to live up to our purpose in Christ. And here's the second way that we act like a masterpiece, and that's this. Recognize the value of others. Write that down. So first off, we recognize the value of who we are, and then we can look out and recognize the value of others. Just like you were created in God's image and are therefore a masterpiece, everyone you interact with was also made in the image of God. Have you ever thought about that? And if everyone else is also a masterpiece, then you've got to ask yourself, how am I treating others? So stop and think about that for just a minute. We love the idea that we're a masterpiece. Maybe we've come to that place of realizing, okay, I'm a masterpiece. And we love how we're made in the image of God. And, and, and if that's true, then we understand that everyone else is also made in the image of God. Doing life in community only works when we realize that we're made in God's image and when we recognize that everyone else is too. The church in true spirit-led community is, isn't ever, ever about us as an individual, about me. It's always about others. It's, it's, it's not what we can get out of church, but it's what we can contribute to the church. It's not about using others, but serving others. It, it, it's being Jesus to others. It's being selfless and sharing and loving and caring. Again, we were talking about this this week. If you read Acts 1.8, it says, Jesus says, I'm going to send you, and I'm going to give you some power. I'm going to send you a helper. If you'll, wait in, if you'll wait here, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you so that you can be what? Witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. I'm going to ask you another kind of a pointed question here this morning. Because as a spirit-filled body of believers here, we're Pentecostals. Praise God. But let me ask you this. Are you taking the Holy Spirit and that gift of the Holy Spirit, that Pentecostal experience, and using it for your own gain? 
are you swinging from the chandeliers here, so to speak, but being an undercover Christian out there? You see, if we are not careful, we're actually being not only disrespectful, but actually more so disobedient to Jesus' mandate because he could have said, I will send you power to be, to speak in tongues and to have Holy Ghost goosebumps on a Sunday morning service. I will, he, he could have said that. I, I will send you power to have a really good life and make a lot of money and be really popular and all that. I will send you power to fill in whatever blank that you want that's very self-serving. It's all about me. But instead, he said, I will send you power so that you can be my witnesses. So if we're not taking the Holy Spirit, that gift that he's given us, and using it for its intended purposes, we're actually being dishonest, we're actually stealing from the Lord, and we're being disrespectful, and shame on us. Shame on us as Pentecostals for not taking that power that he's given us and using it for its intended purposes that Jesus was very specific to say that he was giving us that power to do. Yeah? Did I step on some toes? Good. That's what we need to. I'm stepping on my own toes, by the way, in that. The New Testament is not only full of things that we should avoid, all the stuff that Jesus says, you know, don't do this and don't do that, and this, you know, party pooper sort of stuff that we kind of look at sometimes. And really, by the way, that's not party pooper stuff. Let me just say one more time. Those things that he's telling us to avoid is really helping us to recognize our value. That's really the positive part of that. But also the New Testament is full of things that we should do for others because, because God wants us to recognize their value as well. Let me say this. A truly mature Christian is one who is fully functioning in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the one that's fully functioning in the gift of the Holy Spirit is one who values others over self. If you claim, if you profess to be a spirit-filled believer, then you are living a life of selflessness. It makes no difference how many years that we've been a Christian. I've known a lot of Christians for, I've known people that have had Jesus in their hearts for decades. But they're still very immature when it comes to being others-minded. They live out a theology that thinks Jesus is some sort of Pez dispenser, if you know what those are. And the church is there to bail them out. They walk around with their hands out, taking and always looking out for what's best for them. But that's not the heart of Christ, and that's certainly not what he modeled for us on the earth. Amen? That's why Paul wrote these words to one of the, of the, of the communities uh, that were serving the Lord in the first century in, Philippian, in, 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 in the city of Philippi. He wrote this in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Wow, that's just... Uh, you could live your whole life and never quite seem to accomplish that if we are living out selfish interest and being very self-centered. But if, man, if we can just change it and say, wait a minute, if I'm a masterpiece, then you are too. Then how can I be, uh, how can I value you the way that the, the Lord values me? Because the Lord values you the same way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. There's favoritism that is involved with that. Are you, are you, do you play favoritism with people? Do you try to jockey for position? Are you campaigning for your own rights? Do you manipulate things to get your own way? 
Do nothing out of vain conceit. Do you say, hey, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at how holy I am. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at how generous I am. Look at how beautiful. Look at how wonderful I am. That's vain conceit. That's not, that's not Christ at all. That's not Jesus at all. Selfish ambition and vanity are the status quo for most of our culture. It's our common example that we see all throughout the week if we're, if we're at all out there. And if we're not careful, we're going to fall into the world's trap. And church, this isn't okay. But for those who follow Jesus, Paul says, no, that's not how a masterpiece treats another masterpiece. Mm. Instead, we must learn to value others above ourselves, as we just read. Isn't that what Jesus did? Did he not do that? This is, how, this is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus impacted humanity. And when we live like Jesus does, we reflect Jesus back to our world. In fact, Paul follows up in Philippians with these words in chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. If Jesus did that, then shouldn't we? Christian means like Christ, so like Christ, if I'm to be like Christ, I'm to be a servant to all. Jesus could have come and taken over everything and said, I'm in charge, but he didn't. He came to serve. The way a masterpiece treats another masterpiece is by making themselves a humble servant like Jesus. And, and, and do you know what the, the best way to do this? Again, let's go back to our purpose. How do I do this, Pastor? Okay, let's go back to our job that we've been given. Jesus, reflecting Jesus back to your world by serving others. What about you, mom and dad? How are you doing that with your kids? How are you serving your children? How may I serve you? How are you serving them? Husbands, how are you serving your wives? Wives, how are you serving your husbands? At your job, how are you serving your coworkers, your boss? In your neighborhood, how are you serving those that, 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 are, that, that live around you? How about in the marketplace, those at the grocery stores and the, and the restaurants and the different places? We were talking about this before church, that uh, someone has a relative that works in the restaurant business and they just dread Sundays because of the church people that come out and just, they're so awful. Let's not be that kind of church. Church. If you're going to go out to eat today, treat them kindly. If they're overworked, don't fuss at them. You know, they're understaffed, overworked. It's okay. You'll get your food. We're not going to wither away to nothing. You've got a few extra minutes. What can we do to be a blessing to them? Let's tip them well. Let's, let's be a good representation of Jesus. How are we treating others? That waitress and that waiter that's getting ready to wait on you at a restaurant is God's masterpiece. Treat them as such. You never know the difference you're going to make when you do that. How about online? Oh, that's hard to do. Boy, it's easy to go bippity-boppity-boo sin. Got them. They're, ah. And they're 3,000 miles away and there's nothing they can do about it, but they're God's masterpiece. How are you treating them? How are you treating them? How are you serving them? What about here at faith? How are you treating one another here at faith? Are you serving one another well? You were created by God and you are God's masterpiece. Everyone you come in contact with, everyone, say that with me, everyone, say that with me, everyone, say that with me, everyone that you come in contact with was created by God, which makes them a masterpiece too. God help us to get this. It'll revolutionize the way that you interact with people. 
From the homeless person to the king on the throne, from the prostitute to the queen on the throne, everybody in between, every color, every creed, every one, and every station of life is God's masterpiece. And they're to be treated as such. So if we're going to be one, if we're going to get community right, then we have to recognize that we're all masterpieces and we need to act like it. It's taking that truth and applying it outwardly to others. And it'll revolutionize your life. So what's the takeaway today? What do I do with this? Three things that I want you to write down. You've probably already written them down, but I'm going to give it to you really tight. And we're going to wrap this thing up. Get ready. And in fact, if you'll come on up. The first one is this. I want you to pray that God will help you to realize that you're a masterpiece. You may have listened to this whole message and you may still be thinking, yeah, that's for someone else. I'm not God's masterpiece. Someone has told you you're not worth nothing. You were raised, uh, been spoken into saying, I wish that you were never born. Maybe you're, someone has treated you poorly uh, over the years and you've just embraced the belief, that, really the lie, that you're, that you're worthless. All of that is a lie. It, it, that's not coming from God. God would never say that about you. Human beings will hurt you because hurt people hurt people. But God will never hurt you and God will never tell you a lie. And God's word says that you're a masterpiece. You were created in his image. You are his workmanship. You're a masterpiece. God did that. He was looking around for someone that looked like you and was like you and you didn't exist. So he made you. So he can have fellowship with you. and So that you can walk out your highest purposes that he created you to walk out. So pray God will help you to realize that you are a masterpiece. Ask him to show you your value in his eyes. Ask him to help him to see you the way that he sees you. And the second thing is ask him to help you to see others the way that he sees them. In other words, Lord, help me to see others the way you... I, I want to look at people the way you see them. I want to look at others the way you look at them. So first off, I want to make sure I understand I'm a masterpiece. And then also, Lord, help me to see that they're also a masterpiece. That's the second thing. And finally, the third thing. <laughs> start serving start today start when you go to that restaurant oh do this this would be great and if you go out with someone hold each other accountable was that really the right thing to say was that really the right, right way to act you know and you may be holding your tongue and that's good that's a good start but listen we it's funny how we go into the restaurant and we think we're god's gift and you are going to bow down to me and if you don't do everything just right i'm going to take away another dollar from that tip stop it Stop and look at that waitress, that waiter, that greeter, that person that you're waiting in the lobby so you can get your seat. A 25-minute wait? You've got to be kidding. Stop it. Just take a deep breath and realize that God has sent you there not to eat, but to make a difference, to impact someone's life. Look at the harvest field. Look at the masterpieces that are there. Great training time for you guys in the next few minutes. And in fact, when we dismiss here, the great training time is going to be when we say amen and we're walking out, how are you going to treat people from here to your car? How about in the car? How are you going to treat them? Hmm? Yeah. God help us. I mean, it's easy. You know, it's funny. We, we can walk out of church and be just worshiping Jesus and live like the devil for 30 minutes later. It's just, what's going on? God help us. Stop. Start serving. Oh, but pastor, I'm not quite where I need to be. I still need to kind of work up to that. You know, I'm still working on some things. Start where you are. Start where you are. 
There's no perfect time. I just don't feel like it. You're never going to feel like it. You're never going to feel like taking, treating people kindly and serving them and all that. Because that's, that's, not, that's not how we're wired. We want to be served. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be all those sort of things. Yeah, that's just human nature. But Christ in us says, no, you're going to serve. No, how about do this? So help him to see once, once we see people the way he sees them, then we're going to be able to treat them the way they need to be treated and serve them the way they need to be served. You're never going to feel like it. There's never going to be a perfect time. If you'll serve them right there where you are with what you have as unto the Lord, man, it's a great starting point and build from there, okay? If we're going to cultivate spirit-empowered unity as a church and be one, then it's important to recognize ourselves and others as the masterpieces God created us all to be and to serve them well as Jesus would. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Father, we thank you for this word. It's a great word. Oh, it's so practical. It, 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 it strikes us this morning because we, we realize maybe for some of us, we're maybe not quite as challenged to embrace the fact that, okay, I'm God's masterpiece. I get it. But Lord, it's really kind of hard to treat others that way because they rub us wrong. They treat us wrong. They say stuff wrong to us. It's just so easy to be so harsh, so angry, so disrespectful, so vengeful, so unforgiving, so indifferent, so mean. None of those things are your heart. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us, Lord. In fact, as I'm praying right now, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that some, some of us in this congregation right now need to repent of the way that we've thought of others, treated others. Friends and strangers alike, it's just a, it's a, it's a mindset, it's a, it's a bent that we've, that we've fallen into and we've lived out. It's not pleasing to God. We know when we do it and say it that it's not pleasing to God. We don't feel good about it. And today is the day of repentance. Today is the day where the Holy Spirit says, how about let me take that and heal that and replace that with the selflessness of Christ so that the words that you say, the thoughts that you think, your actions, all will be more treating others like a masterpiece and less treating them like trash. Father, we repent of our attitudes this morning. Go ahead, just in your own way. I can't repent for you, so you're going to have to repent for yourself. This is between you and the Lord. And you know who it is, what it is, the situation, what's in you. Be very specific. Be very honest. And just give it to the Lord right now. Say, Lord, I... As much as I even, you might not even want to give this up. But it's a cancer that's eating at you. It's tearing you up. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. And then Lord, as, as I repent right now of my attitude, my words, thoughts that I think, that I, I keep feeding that that is not pleasing to you in my life. Father, I repent of that. And now... Help me, Lord Jesus, by replacing it with 
the graciousness and the kindness and the long-suffering, really the fruit of the Spirit, all of those wonderful fruit of Christ, gentleness, goodness, joy, peace, self-control, all of those things, Lord, fill me, fill us with those things so that what comes out of us to others is a beautiful fragrance. It's Christ. It's doing our jobs well. It's it's treating others as the masterpieces that you have made them to be, even in their ugliness, even in their, even in the way that they may treat us and the way that they are. Father, may we not treat them the same way. May we treat them with kindness and, and love and forgiveness and all of those things. Just respecting them for who they are, even as people we don't even know. You made them, and so therefore they're your masterpiece as well. Forgive us, Lord God, for being haughty. Forgive us for just walking through our life treating people so poorly. Help us to treat our spouses, our children, our church family, our loved ones, our co-workers, our neighbors, the community at large, those online, with the love of Christ, kindly as masterpieces that you made them to be. Father, we thank you that you're going to show us ways that we can serve others this week, starting right there where we are, even when we don't feel like it. As unto you. Thank you, Lord, that you created us all to be masterpieces. I pray that we walk out here knowing that and not letting the enemy tell us otherwise. Satan, you're a liar. God, I thank you that we're fearfully, wonderfully made. <laughs> you formed us and knit us in our mama's wombs so beautifully. And you made us who we are for your glory. Help us to, lock, to walk that out every day and in every way. And we ask this, Lord, in your name.